Gavin Newsom was sued, and actually, he lost. The Biden campaign was deceitful, as we kind of expect now up until this point, and Abraham Lincoln was right. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Aren't you tired of feeling forced to choose between staying informed and being indoctrinated? Listen to the condensed news cycle without the lies, agendas, and confusion from the mainstream media, all while engaging in deeper discussions about the principles that have influenced our great nation. This is what rescuing America looks like. This is The Glorious Rescue. Well, happy Tuesday, happy election day. We are here on November 3rd, unless, like many of you do, you're listening to this episode a day, two days, a few days after, a little bit delayed. And in that case, you might be able to go back in time a little bit, see that little bit of a snapshot, and be able to, hopefully, if you are listening to this a few days delayed, you will know the winner of the 2020 election. And if so, you can kind of go back and see what was discussed here, because we are going to get into all things election. But if you are listening to this on the day of the release, Tuesday, election day, welcome and welcome to obviously those of you who are listening to it delayed. As we get into all things election, as we get into all things Abraham Lincoln, a good end of show segment. But also, as we discuss a recent development with the tyrannical government of California, specifically the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, his tyranny has been unparalleled. It's been unstoppable. It's really been very frustrating to live in California. If those of you who are listening and living in California, you would know what I'm discussing, what I'm talking about. Well, he has been taken to court. He was taken to court by Kevin Kiley and also another representative, James Gallagher. And these individuals took him to court basically on the basis that he did not have the constitutional authority in accordance to the California state constitution. And he did not have really the authority to act in contrary to the California state legislator. Gavin Newsom had been totally ignoring state law. He's been ignoring state court, been really been muddling the separation of powers in California. The idea that there is no separate and distinct legislative branch, executive branch, and judicial branch, but instead he has just taken his executive power and grown it, expanded it so vehemently. It's as if he's acting in accordance with his will. Whatever he desires, he gets. Well, he was recently taken to court and a judge, a California judge, ruled against him. It is stated here that he has been preliminarily ordered to stop issuing directives related to the coronavirus that might interfere with state law. Basically saying you cannot make any more directives, any more orders about the coronavirus if there's already state law about it because he has been contradicting California legislator because he has been just doing whatever he desires. It also states that he is more broadly barred from, quote, exercising any power under the California Emergency Services Act, which amends, alters, or changes existing statutory law or makes new statutory law or legislative policy. Really, Gavin Newsom's entire policy for COVID, his reaction has been inside of, and he's been saying and claiming that he's acting in accordance and within the California Emergency Services Act. The problem is that it only grants the governor a very short amount of time to move funds around and change policies for a short period of time. What it does not do is give Governor Newsom the complete right to do whatever he wants with no con time constraints for however long he desires doing whatever he wants. That is not what the Emergency Act is. And now federal courts and state courts are ruling against him. This is good. This is very good, actually, for those living in California. It also sets a good precedent all throughout our nation. He has 10 days, I believe it is, to give an appeal. His lawyers have not done so yet, and there has been no comment from him, his administration, or really his legal team. 
So this might be a crushing blow to Gavin Newsom and what has been his tyranny. That was just a brief update, a little bit of a hopeful segment before jumping into the election, which is maybe a little bit less hopeful. One of the good news is voter turnout in this 2020 election. Mail balloting is fueling historic early voting in the 2020 election, according to the Wall Street Journal. And according to this report here, it has now been seen in virtually every single state, in all battleground states, but in almost every single state, voter turnout has been exceptional. In fact, there have already been more mail-in early ballots received than were actually received in total in the 2016 presidential election, meaning the day before, November 2nd, up until November 2nd, there have been more ballots collected in that whole time frame before even election day than were ever counted in the 2016 election in total, meaning exceptional voter turnout. This is good. It's bad. However, you want to decide, I would say voter turnout in general is a good thing. It means more Americans are acting within their rights, within their duties, and within their privileges and exercising their right, exercising the right of the consent of the governed to give consent to our governors, if you will, those elected officials. Now, what I want to jump into a little bit more so about the election is a recent statement made by Joe Biden. Joe Biden made the statement several days ago, five days before the election, because he says this, five days, folks, we have five days to choose hope, science, and unity. Hope, science, and unity. Obviously, he's referring to himself. I doubt he's referring to President Trump as being the candidate of hope, science, and unity. So he's saying, you have five days to choose me, the figure of hope, science, and unity. There's just a few problems. He's not a candidate of hope, unity, nor science. Examples. Unity. Let's start with just unity. In a recent meeting, here's what Joe Biden said. He said, Dr. Fauci called for a mask mandate last week. This isn't a political statement like those ugly folks over there beeping the horns. <laughs> this is a patriotic duty. What he's referring to, those ugly folks, were a group of Trump supporters who had horns and flags or things like that. Yeah, they were causing a little bit of unrest, sure. Let's also remember that the left right now is a very large party really promoting, and if not promoting, at least sheltering and protecting the idea of looting, rioting, a lot more violent acts than just raising flags and shouting and jeering for your political candidate. Nevertheless, here's Biden. Right before he says, we need a president who will bring us together, not pull us apart. I'll deal with this pandemic responsibly, bringing the country together around testing, tracing, and masking. A president who will bring us together. And then he just referred to a whole bunch of people who support a different political candidate as ugly folks. He's not the candidate of unity. We know this. Sure, President Trump isn't really either. I think we know that, but I think he has tried in regards to this coronavirus pandemic and stimulus packages and things like that. And it has overwhelmingly been the left, Nancy Pelosi, the radical left, who has decided to push away the idea of unity to promote their own agenda. We've seen this time and time again when it helps them. They're the ones who want to promote unity and bipartisanship. And yet when it comes down to them, they don't do so either. So again, not the candidate, not the party of unity. Sure, you can make the case neither is Trump, but I would say he's substantially more so than Joe Biden. Next, hope. Hope. We now are saying that Joe Biden is the candidate of hope. Now, I would have said Obama, maybe. 
If you remember Obama, at least back in 08, maybe even in 12, his campaign was run on the idea of hope. 08 was hope and change. He was the candidate that did bring hope. He had the idea of a bright vision, a very bright future for the American economy, the American culture, American systems. Obviously, a vision I did not agree with, but he did have a hopeful message. Has Joe Biden's message been hopeful? No, it has been anything but hopeful. In fact, he has been the candidate that is all doom and gloom. The coronavirus pandemic, we're not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. Stocks are crashing. This is crashing. We are doomed. The entire system is racist. The system is evil. We're not going to make it. That's him as a candidate. It has been President Trump who has been the candidate of we are going to recover. We're on our way back up. We are recovering from this pandemic. We have a bright future ahead. President Trump has been the candidate of hope, not Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been all doom and gloom. Again, this is the entire platform of the left because they have to make a crisis up in order to get people to want to spread away and push away from Trump. That's the whole idea because if it's doing well, if our country is doing well under Trump, he will get reelected. And so they have been the ones that have been fearful, doubting. Obviously, we know the media preys on people's emotions, preys on people's doubts. And the media, the mainstream media, is really an activist media that is just a tool wielded by the left to promote their own agenda. So again, not hope, not unity, and definitely, most definitely, not a candidate of science. Because Joe Biden, you want to say you're a candidate of science. But I ask you this simple question. Where was the science for your COVID plan? The idea that 96, 94% of COVID deaths we're not actually, in fact, COVID being the case of that death. Only 6% of COVID deaths actually label COVID as the cause for that death. If you have a heart attack and you die because and from the heart attack and you had COVID, that was lumped into these COVID deaths. If you died from A, B, C, D, but yet you had COVID, you were lumped into this. Only 6%, this is according to the CDC, only 6% of COVID deaths actually died because of COVID. And yet these are the plans that you're rolling out. So where's the science in that? Where's the science of the Green New Deal that you try to say you support when you're with the left and then you try to say you don't and then you try to say you do and you're all over the place? The Green New Deal, climate change, where's the real science in that? And definitely, where's the science in your entire platform? Let's just take abortion, for example. This is not a red herring argument because I'm discussing his worldview on science. So let's talk science, Joe Biden. First of all, science teaches us and confirms that it is a separate life in the womb of the mother. Science teaches that there's a distinct heartbeat. Science teaches that there's distinct brain activity separate from the mother. Science teaches that the baby has separate appendages, an entirely separate body from the mother. Science teaches that everything about this baby is separate from the mother. And yet you want to ignore the science because that life is attached to the other life with a cord. Where's the science behind saying that that life is not separate life just because it is attached to the mother by the cord? That is the entire argument there, right? It's a matter of, is it alive or is it not? Science would say that it does. And yet you ignore the fact because you want to pander to your own audience. Nevertheless, we know this. We know that Joe Biden is not the candidate of science of hope of unity. In fact, Ivanka Trump just came out and said she unapologetically is pro-life. We know president Trump is pro-life. We know Amy Coney Barrett, although she doesn't want to mention it specifically and hypothetically in her hearings, is a pro-life judge now and justice on the Supreme Court. So these are all good things. These are very promising things for the future. 
to help stay the judgment of God really on our nation. The idea of murdering babies in our country and staying the wrath of God with pro-life candidate, pro-life officials in our government. Next, the idea of science. When we're talking about Joe Biden, science and capitalism, science and Marxism or socialism slash communism. Kamala Harris has basically defended communism. She posted a recent thing on Twitter, I believe it was, basically laying out Marxism and saying, this is what I believe. It was like this little animated video. It really was completely Marxist, completely communist. The crux of the issue was really this. We all start on different levels of the playing field, per se. And because we do so, we must then change the system for people because we need to have equal outcomes. She wants equality of outcome. This is really the hidden agenda of the left. We know this. This is what Kamala Harris is promoting. Equality of outcome. Dare I say Marxism. And if people don't want to submit to her grand idea of what America should look like, then it would be communism, the forced inculcation and the forced move to socialism, to Marxism, to collectivism. That is what communism is. She is describing, literally describing communism when she says this is what she's supporting, Marxism. This is now the vice presidential candidate of the United States. So I hope that the Americans thought about this when they were filling in the bubble on their ballot. I do hope so. Again, we have the election coming up tonight. Make sure to watch it live if you can do so. And then we will be back here, obviously, on Friday with more updates on that. Before we finish up this episode, I want to head over to a brief segment of Teach the Speech. Welcome back to another segment of Teach the Speech. For this segment, I just want to briefly summarize, and I will very briefly summarize, Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. I know. I know I'm going to get flack. I'm going to get comments about another segment of Teach the Speech being about Abraham Lincoln. I think for the vast majority of these have been Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill. We've talked a little bit about George Washington, Patrick Henry. I recommend you go back and do so. I think Teach the Speech is one of the more favorable and more favorite segments that we have here on the show. But today we're going to go back to Abraham Lincoln. And we're going to go back to his second inaugural address. I say a very short address. I think the entire read for the speech is about six to seven minutes. We're just really going to look at the last little bit. And I'm going to give you a brief summary. I'm going to give you a little bit of context here. And he basically says that the need for this inaugural address is not as long as his first. Let's remember, this is one of his last speeches before he is assassinated. Because very early on in his second term, he is assassinated. I do believe, I very emphatically believe that this speech right here very much sums up his worldview, very much sums up his idea and his hope for America. And he says here in the second inaugural address, he says it doesn't need to be as long of one as the first one. Because in the first one, we were heading into the Civil War, and I had much more to discuss. We basically have been in the Civil War for four years, and we all know the state of the country. He was discussing both sides when he said this. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. Very interesting statement. We're on different sides, and yet we both pray to the same God, and we both ask that God to help us really beat the other side in this war. He says, It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of another man's face or other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither have has been answered fully, because the war hadn't ended yet. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. The idea of 
There are going to be injustices in this world, but woe to that man who brings those injustices. A Bible verse. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? He's saying God is not a, a changing God. His attributes remain constant. And therefore, what he likes and what he doesn't like stays the same. And because we are bringing woes, we, because we are bringing offenses onto the earth, this just God will still look down upon all of us, either side of us. He says, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Beautiful statement. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. I just want to focus on the last couple sentences. Hope I didn't lose you in that. I hope you understand and, and see the beauty in those words. But just focus in on the last. He says, God is a just God. He says, the judgments of the Lord and true are righteous altogether. Because God is unchanging, that statement is still true. He says, it is possible that this war will go on for as long as God's justice is appeased. That the amount of blood that was taken by the lash the idea of slavery, the blood that was drawn from slavery, is replaced by the blood that is drawn from the sword in war, then it may be up until this whole 250 years of slavery in America. He's saying that God is a just God. And that 250 years of slavery in America, the amount of blood that was shed by the lash from the master against his slave, all of that, if God wants to act in accordance to his judgment, then that amount of blood drawn from the sword, a brother's sword drawn from his brother's side, then that is what shall happen, and that is what shall be just. And then he, he comes and ends it with a rallying cry, a unifying call that we should have malice towards none, charity for all, and a firmness, a belief in the right as God gives us to see the right, a hope for the future, a hope for all of us to bind up our wounds, to come together at the end of this conflict and restore our nation. That is what I hope to see, in this third American crisis, this civil war is the second American crisis. This is the third. I hope that we can all come back together after we solve these issues, bind up our nation's wounds, and go forward to America, a brighter future, a future of restoring those principles that have once rescued our nation and that will again rescue our nation, and the principles that rescue our nation that we discuss here on The Glorious Rescue. That's going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to tune back on Friday where we get discuss all that is the election, what has happened, the outcome. I'm very excited about it. So make sure to tune in on Friday for all of that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue.